chapter 16. I'm going to start reading in verse number 22. Acts chapter 16. This is where we left off last week. Remember Paul, and I'll I'll cover this in just a second. They have just been arrested, Paul and Silas. They did not arrest Timothy and Luke, but they did Paul and Silas. Verse 22 says this, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison uh, were shaking, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. The keeper of the prison, waking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Think about that. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straight, straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. When it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeant, saying, Let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told the saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. Now do they thrust us out privily? Nay. Verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. The sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. When they, and when they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. Let me read that verse a little bit better. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, I pray your blessing upon the service this morning. Lord, I pray that you be glorified and honored in all that is said and done. So, Lord, I pray for your mercy, your grace, your help. Lord, help me to stay faithful to your word. And Lord, may your word teach us this morning, make it help us to grow, may it meet the needs that are present. And Lord, I do pray especially for anyone here who has never truly been converted. Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing that perhaps even this morning they would repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. May you be glorified and honored. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So far as we've come into Acts chapter 16, we've noticed it's focused, as we can 
come to the last part of the chapter here, it's focused on three individuals. We saw the conversion of a tender soul in Lydia. We saw the conversion of a a tormented soul in the damsel. And now we see God dealing with a tough soul with the jailer. So Paul is, again, he's in his second missionary journey. We looked at how fascinating that was and how God directed him into Europe when it wasn't in Paul's plans at all. Again, he thought about heading to Ephesus and Thyatira and all those places in Asia Minor. But the Lord shut the doors and finally the Lord made it clear what he had for them. They head into Europe. They're here in Macedonia, which is modern day Greece. And the very first city they hit is a chief city. There's four chief cities in Macedonia. Philippi is one of them. And that's where they head. It's just simply 10 miles from the coast. They head in there. We saw the conversion. The very first one was, was a Gentile woman who had already been exposed to Judaism and believed they're simply was just one true God, and that was Lydia. And Lydia had converted in her household and put their faith in Christ. And then, of course, we came across the damsel who was possessed. She was possessed. The literal interpretation of it is a python spirit that she was possessed with. And that's important because we know exactly who we're dealing with because it uses the word python spirit that she had. She was considered one of the oracles of the day that come out of Greece or Macedonia, that region, going back in Greek mythology, a series of women that would be possessed that had the ability, they believed, to tell the future and uh, um, all kinds of of demonic activity. So, one of those oracles happens to end up as a slave to some men that are in Philippi. And so he is, she is bringing them great wealth. Everybody would want to see and talk and talk with her. And so they're getting very rich off of her. Of course, she starts following Paul and she starts, she starts crying out, these are the servants of the Most High God. They show us the way of salvation. We dealt with that last week, how that is a true statement. But Paul wanted nothing to do with it. The Lord never accepted praise or anything from from demons or anything of the sort. Paul understood what was taking place right there. Paul understood that demon is trying to associate with Paul. He knows what damage he can do when Paul leaves if the people think, hey, we're sort of one and the same right here. We're all right. The devil and his ministers love to appear as an angel of light. Don't be ignorant to that. Just because somebody says, listen, I am of the Lord, don't believe it. There's a testing that takes place. that You you are to try the spirits. Just because something starts off in the name of the Lord, just don't accept it at face value. The devil is a master at appearing as an angel of light. So we looked at that last week and we saw that Paul was arrested... Because those businessmen lost their source of income and they were furious. And all of a sudden, they care about the law. When before they could not, it didn't matter them one bit. And the truth is, they had legitimate charges against Paul and Silas. There was a law in place, a Roman law in existence, that no new religion. Can't do it. And they were preaching a new religion. So they knew they they had some charges here. And so they stir up the town. They stir up the town, and Paul and Silas are arrested. Luke and Timothy are not. Number one, remember, they're not Jews. Um, Paul and Silas are. And, and besides that, Paul and Silas would be the primary speakers that was taking place. And so we left off when they were arrested. So today we're going to deal with one of the most amazing events that takes place in the book of Acts. That is the conversion of this jailer. It's just amazing what the Lord does. And again, good timing. We had an earthquake this morning. I thought, this is just perfect timing right now. 
When it comes to life, there's a lot of important questions that anybody who stops to consider and think about life, usually these questions come to mind. Questions like, why am I here? How did I get here? What is my purpose? How did the universe even get here? What is life all about? Why is Ohio so much better than Michigan? That's a self-evident question. I don't think it needs an answer right there. Now, the most important question that a person needs to answer and ask and get the answer to in life is the one in our text. And that is, what must I do to be saved? And in truth, all those questions I just gave you should lead you to that question. Once you begin to figure out how the universe got here, what life is all about, why you are here, the question it should lead you to is, what must I do to be saved? And the truth is, you do need to be saved. The world loves to mock this question. But the truth is, it is the most important question in the world. I'm going to break this message down into three areas. Again, I hope I get finished with it. I think it's important to finish this in one, but I might just get through the first point. We'll see where we're at when I finish the first point. I'm going to break down this text into three areas. We're going to see the saints suffering, soul saved, and a sorry given. So let's, let's jump into this this morning. First off, the saints are suffering. They have been arrested. We see it in 22 through 26. Uh, um, 22, they were commanded to beat them. There has been no trial. But they're commanded to beat them. When they had laid many stripes on them, in verse 23, upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. As a result of that charge, he says, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loose. So when we left off again, Paul and Silas had been arrested, and now we see in the frenzy of the town they are commanded to be beaten. We're going to see they have to endure great suffering. This isn't some small thing that takes place right now. There's great suffering that they're going to have to endure. And we're going to see exactly as the Bible says, Paul and Silas handled that midnight hour correctly. It's so important you learn how to handle the midnight hour. Those times of trials, those times of suffering, because it can send you an entire, an entire different direction than what you should go. And many times you miss the opportunity for God to use you during these times because you can get so self-centered in what's taking place. How we respond to trials and suffering is very important. When you get so focused on your circumstances and not the God of the circumstances, you can find yourself in trouble. Paul could have very easily here missed how God wanted to use him if he responds in a self-centered, bitter way. So let's look at the suffering itself. <clears throat> it says they were beaten. This was an illegal punishment since there was no, they were not convicted. There's been no trial. And under Roman law, what takes place here is not legal. This is going to be important. Amazing how the God's going to be. This is going to be important when I finish this message for the safety of the church at Philippi. <clears throat> 
The Bible says they are beat with rods. Now, these rods would be a group of very hardwood, a, a type of birch that would be tied together. Now, in the center of them, actually, they'd have another rod coming up through the center, would basically be an axe, and they could attach the axe head to it. That way, if they wanted to, you know, um, go ahead with capital punishment, they could do it immediately. If capital punishment wasn't involved, they would take the axe head off, and those rods would be used for the beating that would take place. And so this is what Paul and Silas are going to be beat with. And it says, when they laid many stripes on them, this beating would be severe and incredibly painful. You, if you remember, under Jewish law, it was prohibited from inflicting more than 40 stripes. But there was no such Roman law. They were unrestricted in regards to the number of lashes they could give out in a beating. It's very possible this is what Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23 when he says, in stripes above measure. What he means by that is, when I was beaten, and it happened to him three times, by the way, in his ministry, three times. Above measure means above 40. So it's very likely that's what, this is one of the times he's talking about right here. Think about that. Beat with these rods by Roman soldiers more than 40 times. Think of the pain. Think what their back would look like if, during Paul and Silas's back after this beating was finished. Again, he said, thrice I was beaten with rods in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. After the beating takes place, <clears throat> they call for the jailer. He is charged to keep them safely, and he thrusts them into the inner prison. And the jailer um, adds punishment on top of it because of how the charge was given. And that is he's going to put them in stocks. This, too, would be incredibly painful. It wasn't just to keep you from running away. It was also a type of punishment in the prison. It was designed to spread your legs far apart. There would be wooden boards they would use, and they'd have different holes in them. And so they would measure it up to, to, to spread their legs far apart and then secure their feet in those stocks. You could stand up, but it's very doubtful. But the only thing you could really do is lay down. And guess what you'd have to lay down on? Your back which was just beaten. By the way the stocks were made, many times if, when dehydration started to set in, it would lead to cramping of the legs. Imagine your calf seizing up and there is nothing you can do about it. So there's Paul and Silas. They've just been beaten. They're in the innermost part of the prison. Their feet are fastened in these stocks and now they're on that filthy, dirty floor on their backs. A painful picture. Again, no trial has been given. They've been beaten severely. They're bleeding. Feet in stocks. Lying on their back on a nasty floor. and can hardly move. So what's the response going to be to this? We see the response, of course, in verse, 20, in verse 25. We see it's late at night when this is taking place. It's midnight. Paul and Silas could have started complaining right away. Why, Lord? Lord, you know I'm trying to serve you. You know I'm in your will. Why? I could have got mad. That's it. I quit. I quit. I'm done. And listen, this happens. I've seen people come before me quitting in the smallest of adversity. Just the smallest. And saying, that's it. I'm done. I've been offended. 
Listen, how you handle the midnight hour is very important in life. What they did, though, was this. And the wording is important. Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And this is why they're doing this. The prisoners heard them. So important. All this, what's taking place right now. So think about this. There's no way. It's midnight. There's no way they're sleeping this night. It's not happening regardless. They've just been beaten severely. Their backs are, are injured. Even when they're traveling from here on out, this is going to be an issue to recover from for months, what just happened to them. They're in the stocks. There's no sleep going on. You can just hear, Paul, Silas, Silas, we need to pray. You ever wonder what they're praying? With Paul, I I can just hear that guy praying for the jailer. Praying for the other prisoners. I could just hear him. It wasn't one of those, Lord, why me? It wasn't it. Paul had such a foundation down, listen, this is important, on the sovereignty of God. As he walked through life with what he faced, listen to me, he understood God was in control. God was not up in heaven. Man, sorry, Paul. I fell asleep just for a minute. I I did not, I, I, I messed up there. I'm sorry. He understood God is in control. That for whatever reason, God allowed it. Is that not the same principle of faith that allowed Joseph to succeed and make it through all his trials? And then they began to sing. And they didn't, they, they didn't start singing, you know, God on the mountain is still God in the valley. God, you're my best friend in the darkness. We love to sing songs about our own suffering, don't we? Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. But listen to me. When Paul sang here, it wasn't about the God on the mountain is still God in the valley. He sang praises to God. There's a lesson here. Don't miss this. This is the key to what helped him get through this midnight hour. He wasn't focusing on his suffering. He was focusing on the greatness of God. I mean, they sing just, Wow. Just incredible. Listen, when things do get difficult and do get rough, it's not time to sing the poor me songs. It's time to get your focus on God and sing about Him. I can just hear Him singing maybe the Psalms or maybe words He ended up writing to the church at Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always and again, I say, rejoice. Yes, we will delete this from the message later. Don't worry about it. But Paul, the Bible says, saying praises to God. Do you understand the more, even, in your, even at times in prayer and in song, you can get so focused on your own problems that you can't get yourself out of it. Sure. 
It's so important that you get your attention focused on God. Spurgeon said this. It's easy to see when the notes. Uh, it's easy to see when we can read the notes by daylight. Songs in the night come only from God. They are not in the power of men. By the way, that's exactly what Job thirty-five ten teaches us: that God gives songs in the night. And the truth is, think about this statement. I know I've heard it before. It's certainly not original with me. But think of the truth behind it: that if God is worthy of praise right now. He's worthy of praise at all times. No circumstance can change it. And of course, the other prisoners are hearing all of this. Paul and Silas wanted them to hear. And I guarantee you, they've never heard anything like this. Usually when new prisoners are coming in, they're blaspheming, they're cussing, or begging for mercy, claiming their innocence. They've never heard or seen anything like this, what's happening in the prison this night. And then in the middle of all that, as that is taking place, the prisoners are wide awake. That's clear. It's right here. They're wide awake. In the middle of all this happening, God moves. The earthquake hits. <laughs> just, just incredible. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. So that, and then some of, some of the commentators I read said that this earthquake was limited to the prison. I don't think so at all. I think it was, I think it was a focus. I think why, get it, why God did it was for the prison. Uh, but anyhow, I'll get more into that later as I get to why those magistrates were coming back that morning. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. Again, picture this. As they're praying, now they're singing praises unto God. The, the prisoners are just amazed already at what they're hearing take place. And as they're singing how great God is, an earthquake hits. And then on top of the earthquake, several miracles instantaneously happened. All the doors of the prison were open. That's not a result of the earthquake. That's a result of God opening all the doors of the prison. And all their bands were loosed. They're like, oh, those guys, they just got in here. We're all listening. They're singing about this most high God. And now this? Incredible. All would be stunned. Again, it's, it's like they all knew. Those were the guys they were charged with uh, about the, this new religion, about the Most High God. And now these miracles take place. Immediately, Paul takes charge. No one runs away. They knew whatever this man had, we need. This is different. This isn't the idolatry we're used to. This isn't the paganism we're used to. This isn't some fake God, Jupiter and Mars. This is real. Not a prisoner leaves. 
Now, how is it that they were able to respond like that? How is it after such a severe beating, after being charged, after having these charges with no trial taking place, while they're trying to serve God, how is it they're actually able to respond in the manner they did? I need to touch on that. As I mentioned earlier, this is key. They stay focused on God, not on the circumstances. When Paul would write later on to the church at Philippi, he says, rejoice in the Lord. We're so, we've got so accustomed to rejoicing to our circumstances and not in the Lord. And Paul knew when he began. Now, now Paul understood, you have to remember, this is, as we're going through the book of Acts, if you keep the book as a whole, so much makes sense. Don't forget who Paul was. Paul was the guy breaking up families, giving permission for, for Christians to be killed, thrown in prison. Thinking he was doing God's service, but then the day hit on the road to Damascus as he's on his mission still. I mean, it was his mission. Little did he realize to try and stomp out what God was doing. And God saved him. I mean, when he thought of God's mercy and grace and God saving him, and the Lord told him, you're going to suffer great things for me. He knew. He didn't put conditions on God. This is how my Christian life should look. You want to know why? It wasn't about his life. It was about the God that saved him. If you continually, simply learn to rejoice in circumstances alone, you will be a roller coaster Christian. You stay focused on God, not your trials. Is that not what Paul did with what the Bible tells us he sang about? He sang praises unto God where he was. You know, it wasn't like he just you know, received uh, uh, some donation to his ministry of a million dollars, and now he's praising God. No, he's been beaten in a prison. Well, it's time to sing praises to God. Life to Paul was all about God. This brought to mind, consider, consider Habakkuk. We will go through that book. Almost did it for Wednesdays, but we're in the book of Romans. First couple of chapters of that book deal with Habakkuk in this conversation he has with God. And he's basically in distress. He doesn't understand why God's doing what he's doing. He's mad about God's inaction. The Babylonians are getting ready to, to pounce on Judah, uh, on, the, on the southern kingdom. He wanted God to do something more particularly in the area of justice of evildoers. So it's this frustrated prophet, much like Jonah, though to his credit, he goes to prayer and doesn't run from God. But what it changes to is all of a sudden, without circumstances changing one bit, praise unto God. Because now he got a right perception of what was happening. Let me read from a commentator on, on that book. 
He's speaking of an overview of the book. Let me give that to you here. He said he couldn't understand his problem, the prophet. He finally said, forget the problem, God. I'm going to talk about you. He felt so good. He said, God, if the whole world goes crazy, I'm going to keep praising you. I don't know anything about the problem. I can't figure out the answer. But I know you're there. I know, I know who you are. I know what you are. And I know you're consistent. What changed his perception wasn't because the circumstances changed. It's because he remembered how great God is. He said, you know what? I'm focusing too much on this and not on how great God is. What did Paul do when he's laying down in that filthy prison with his back severely injured? I'm going to focus on how good God is right now. Listen, during that midnight hour, focus on God. Not even what God can do for you or what you think God should do for you. Just focus on Him. Listen to me. If you, if you stay focused on your circumstances, just follow me here, you're going to start to view God, the Creator, from a very skewed perspective. And you will begin to base God's goodness on how he responds in your circumstance. That's so dangerous. Remember what Paul taught us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's one of my favorite chapters in in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. Paul listing all that he's went through in life. All the trials. The guy lived a very difficult Christian life. And faithful to the end. In 2 Corinthians, he gives the key to it all. As he finishes up in 17 and 18, he says, For our light affliction. He's referring to what he went through. Three times beaten. Shipwrecked. Stoned. All the suffer, all the imprisonments he went through. And he called it literally... A light affliction. He said, what I know is this. It's simply for a moment. It is. It's simply for a moment. Your life is as a vapor. Pyrithoam vanishes away. What you're in the middle of right now soon will be past. We're here for such a short time. Life goes fast. What Paul realized, and this is what I'm going through, is just, it's but for a moment. And then he goes on to the key why he could say that. Because he stayed focused on the eternal, he says in verse 18. He says, I'm looking at the eternal, not the temporal. If he focused on the temporal, oh, he'd be miserable. He'd be miserable. He focused on the eternal. That's the key. Stay focused on God. Don't allow your mind to be consumed with the trouble. Stay focused on the greatness of God. Listen, many of you are going through a lot of different trials and things right now. A lot of different things you're facing you didn't think you'd have to face. 
You stay focused on the goodness and greatness of God. That doesn't change. And we are here for such a short time. This is another important point I want to bring out about this. And I'll probably will close here. Do not let your trial alter your theology. Don't let your trial alter your theology. Too often our theology, what we believe about God and what we believe about truth and what we believe about the Bible, too often can come from our own circumstances in life and our experiences instead of just letting truth be truth. So often because of our circumstances, we can create our own theology. Do you know how many books are at bookstores right now? Just simply because of that. People getting so far off and away from God, they've come to their, to their own truth. We have truth. We do. We do. And even when you don't understand what's going on, you stay with truth. That's what you do. You stay focused on God, just like Habakkuk did. Nope, I'm, all right, right. God, I need your help here. Stay focused on God. Now, from there, because of how Paul responded, and I don't have time to get into the second and third point today, so we will do that next week, but I do need to bring it up right now because... Because maybe you're here and you're at that point where you have that question on your mind. What must I do to be saved? Now understand this. Because of Paul's response in the midnight hour is what led to the jailer asking that question. And it's incredible all that takes place in those moments. And I don't believe just, we know the jailer's family also trusted Christ. And we're going to see next week, this in no way teaches infant baptism and all that... I'll show you right, right from this text, because this is a proof text for it. That is nonsense. We're going to see all that God does with that, because I also believe other prisoners got saved. None of them left. And that jailer will come in trembling, falling down before Paul, as, as we'll see what happens next week, and he asks that question, what must I do to be saved? I can just imagine Paul, when he heard those words, giving glory to God immediately. Lord, this is why. This is why my back hurts. Lord, you're incredible. I mean, here's the jailer. This would be a tough, tough individual. He's trembling. Falling down. And he, and he asked the most important question in the world. What must I do to be saved? You see, you need saved because judgment is coming. He understood that. And I'll get to that next week. The jailer understood that. You're, one day you will stand before God and you're going to be judged. And I promise you, at that moment, you're going to understand why that question is the most important question in the world. <laughs> 
Because one day you will stand before a holy and a righteous God. <clears throat> and He will judge you. And you have a major problem. Because you are guilty. And unless something takes place to make you look, listen to me, perfect, you'll be judged and in the lake of fire forever and ever. You don't have your own thing worked out between you and God. You don't. God is holy and he is just. And that's not changing because in your mind, you think you have your own thing worked out between you and God. You're going to be judged of a holy and righteous God. And if you are found guilty, you will be cast into the lake of fire. God's requirement is perfection. But none of us are. That's why we need saved. So you know what God did? Because he's holy and he's just. That's not changing. In order to save you because he loves you, God himself became a man 2,000 years ago. Think about that. The creator became a man. Amazing. This is what's amazing. The Bible refers to him as the second Adam. Just incredible. He lives on this earth 30-some years. He's the only man in all of human history that was perfect, sinless. So think about this. So as a man, he's the only one who's ever lived on this earth, as a man, that can go to that judgment and the Father could say, you're innocent. You're perfect. You know what he met? The requirement. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled holiness. Next, he was going to satisfy justice. That's where the cross comes in. The Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who do no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When he went to the cross, God the Father placed upon his son all of our sin. Your sin was placed upon him. And the Father judged him in your place. That satisfied justice. But hell did not hold the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. And after three days and three nights, he defeated death and rose again. So he takes your sin, and that verse also teaches us that at the same time, he gives you his perfect life. So it's as if you change places. God says, listen, I'll accept this in order to save you. Just like Paul's response was believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that possible? Why does he save? Because when he was on that cross, he took all of your sin and satisfied justice. And at the same time, he gives you his perfect life. So that it looked as if he was the one who committed your filthy transgressions. And it looks as if you were the one who lived the perfect life. See, if you go before, stand before God and Christ's righteousness is given to you, it looks as if you are perfect. God can save you. Listen, if you'll come to him in repentance and faith, he'll save you. It's not in baptism. It's not in a church. It's not in how good you are. It is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what will save you. With heads bowed and eyes closed.